0: Say it together Shma Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad Veahavta Et Adonai Eloecha Vehol Levaveha Uvehol Nefsha Uvehol Meodecha Veahavta La Reha Kamocha Amen Hero Israel the Lord is our God the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. Thank you. Please be seated for my words. So I'm excited today, but I'm bummed because I don't have very much time and that's okay. Um, That's what the Lord has given us today. And so we're going to make we're going to squeeze every last drop out of it. Um, I was looking up the, the passage, and it's a really, really cool tool for you guys. The word scripture, the number four, and then the word all.org, scripture for all. And you can look up a Hebrew, English, interlinear Bible. And I was looking up Leviticus 19.18. What does he actually say? Does he say and love your neighbor as yourself? No. That's not what the Hebrew says at all. Do you know what the Hebrew says? And you shall love your neighbor because he is like you. That's different. He's just like you. Jesus taught a lot about doing things because someone else is just like you. Don't judge hypocritically because he's doing exactly what you're doing. You're doing exactly what he's doing. I love that. So love your neighbor as yourself is good. But what the Hebrew says is love your neighbor. He's like you. Jeez, so I shouldn't judge him. Unfairly. Not unless you want to be judging yourself. And that's God. That is God through and through. Okay. I want to begin with this really cool story that RVL Ray Vanderloo told us about this rabbi that was in one of his classes. I think um, class was maybe like an Old Testament survey class. Of course, they wouldn't call it the Old Testament. Can you imagine talking to a Jewish person and say, oh, you got the old one. (laughs) I got the new one. You'd insult him. So they, of course, don't think of it as the Old Testament. They think of it as the first, actually the only Testament. We might call it the First Testament or the Tanakh is a nice and respectful way to talk about the Old Testament to a Jewish person is called the Tanakh. That's what they call it. So this student stands up after the rabbi walks in, and everybody stands up and greets him. And and uh, he says, "Let's go ahead and start start from the beginning." Well, these guys have most of the Bible memorized, most of their Bible memorized. So he stands up and he begins to recite Genesis one one. Could you do that? In the beginning, God created. Okay, why don't you do it? Let's let's get the feel for that. Brent, go ahead and stand up. You'll be you'll be the student. And remember, RVL, he's the one in Dockers and like a uh, polo shirt in the back, the goy. That's just like, please don't ever look at me again. You know, he's just, so here's this rabbi and here's this student. And he goes, go ahead and, and begin for us. And so, <clears throat> very, in the beginning, stop, do it again. So whenever you're told to stop and do it again, you need to do it louder. You need to do it clearer. Okay, go ahead. In the beginning, God. Stop. God. let's do it one more time listen in the beginning God. stop (laughs) he does this seven times thank you Brent in the beginning God stop in the beginning God stop in the beginning God stop and it starts to get annoying even to this guy like really in the beginning God stop and then the rabbi says he looks at everybody In the room, and says, If you don't believe that, there's the door. Because the rest of this class isn't going to make any sense. Because it's all about God. Every word of it is about God. It's all about God. The creation, the destruction, the relationship, the earth, the heavens, the life, the goodness. The love, it's all about God. In the beginning, God. That's it. And I thought that was pretty powerful because it's true. It's all you need. In the beginning, God. And everything else that flows from that flows from God himself. I still am geeking out about God calls himself the Aleph and the Tav. Guys, remember this from last week? And the first four words, in the beginning, God created Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the end. And that's what, a little bit what we're gonna go into today. Before God ever spoke a word, well, to have a word, you gotta have Letters. He got to make the alphabet. The first thing he ever did was to make the beginning and the end. And this is what they say about God. From the beginning, he knows the end. All right. Why does the Torah begin with the letter bet? And here's what the letter bet looks like in Hebrew. That's the question. Because, you know, if the Jews are real big on pictures, what should the first letter be? if this is the second letter of the alphabet. What should the Torah begin with? Probably the first letter, the first letter which is Aleph. But it doesn't. It begins with Bet. So I, I want you to know how much I love the Jewish people. I don't even know very many Jewish people, but I love them because they <laughs> absolutely are so amazing when it comes to the word of God. You see, for a Jew, every letter, every letter was put there by God for a purpose. If the Torah, Genesis 1 verse 1, starts with the second letter, a Jew does what we ought to do. Why? Hey God, why? Hey, why does that have to, why do they have, why is it missing a Y there? Why is there an extra letter on that? Why, why, why? God says, yes, now you're getting it. Now you're interacting with my living, breathing word. So why does the Torah begin with the letter bet? Look at that Hebrew letter bet for a second. In the letter, the answer is revealed. This is what's so, I geek out over this stuff. It's so much fun. Look at that letter. It's a box with only one side open, right? So the next letter is gonna be Resh. bre You know, I know, it likes to, likes to go out. So you read this way. Bre-sheet, barah, Elohim, et, blah, blah, blah. So why does it start with bet? Well, the Jews went, I got it, I know. Look at this. Everything above the Torah is closed to mankind's knowledge. It's not for him to know. Okay. Everything that is before the Torah. Before the Torah? Yeah, that's not for you to know. Don't worry about that. What about this? How about the things below the Torah? Nope. That's closed. That's closed to human understanding. You don't need to know about anything below the Torah. Before the Torah, above the Torah. What do you need to know? Everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Everything that proceeds out of Torah. That's what you guys get to know, God says. Even the letters are pictures of the reality and the understanding of God's revelation. God says, "This is who I am," and we say, "Uh, yeah, but what? What about this?" And God says, Mm-mm. "Well, what did you? What? What were you doing like before you created?" God says. Mm-mm. What about like the underworld and the, the life after death? Can I know about what life after death? What, what can I know about? And God says, you can know exactly what I tell you. How you like that? I love it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bet is the number two. And the word reshit means first. So bet is is the number two, yet the word, "Rashit," means first. So the sages taught, you know what? There were two firsts. What were the two firsts? Well, Torah and God. (laughs) Torah, I'm sorry, I said God. Torah and the people of Israel. Torah and Israel. Those were the two firsts. Those were the two first, the Torah itself and the people of Israel. Now, where do I get that? That's Exodus 4. God is talking to Moses and says, Listen, I want you to go into Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh something for me. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, This is what you shall say to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. Did Pharaoh refuse to let Israel go? Yep. Did God kill Pharaoh's firstborn? Yep. That's called midah, keneged midah, measure against measure. This is God's philosophy of life, by the way. What's measure against measure? Well, here's the way God does it. Do you like to make fun of people? Yes, I do. I think it's so much fun to, to get a laugh at others' expenses. Good. Then I will make your life a laughingstock for others. Huh? Do you like to forgive your enemies? No way. They don't deserve forgiveness. May they burn in hell. God says, okay, then I won't forgive you. And guess where you're going? Oh, no, that's no good. To David. Oh, David, we, you like to sleep around and commit rape. With Bathsheba, that's what David did. He raped Bathsheba, by the way. She was a happily married woman and did not want to go to the king's house. The king had her brought by force and he had his way with her. So David rapes Bathsheba, then he murders her husband. And God says to the prophet Nathan, you like to play with swords, David? David's like, no. Oh, I think you do. And so God says, so the sword will never depart from your family. See what God is doing Do you like to forgive others? Yes, I always forgive others because I want God to forgive me and God says, good, then I will. You like to be merciful to others? No way. And God says, I won't be merciful with you. This is midah keneged midah. This is measure against measure. This is the way God does life. So the things you want God to show to you when he judges you and he will, you better live that way to them. So this is what God does in Exodus 4. The Torah is one of the firsts, the, one of the two firsts in all of creation. Uh, Israel is the other. So let's talk about the firstness or the primacy of Torah. Now, if you're Jewish, you got to imagine all kinds of things about the text. And it's kind of fun. They tell all these little parables that are called Midrash. Midrashim. They tell these parables and they're madrashas. They have all these conversations behind the conversations in the Bible so that we can make more sense of the, the things that are going on. There's a really neat one and I'll tell you about it again when we get there, but your English Bible says it different than the Hebrew. And God said to Abraham, 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 take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to Mount Moriah. He's getting ready to sacrifice him. Our English says, take your son, Isaac, your only son, the one whom you love, and go to Mount Moriah. Hebrew doesn't say that. Hebrew says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to Mount Moriah. And the sages went, wait a minute. Why all the redundancy? Why didn't God just say, take Isaac? (laughs) He had avoided a lot of words. So they came up with a Midrash. They came up with the story to understand why God did it like that. Do you want to know the conversation behind that conversation that the Jews came up with? It's kind of interesting. God says, Abraham, take your son. And Abraham said, which one? I got two. And God says, your only son. He said, but they're both only sons of their mother, Hagar, Sarah. The one whom you love. And God says, or Abraham says, I love them both. They're my kids. And God says, "Don't okay, get Isaac. Ah, okay. And go to Mount Moriah. You see the story behind the story, the conversation behind the conversation. It helps to make a weird text not so weird. It's like, oh, God was having this conversation. Almost like God's a person. He's doing something over here. Hey, Abraham, I need you to take your son. Which one I got to? Uh, your only son. Oh, they're both only sons of their mother. Uh, the one you love. Uh, I love them both. Uh, okay, Isaac. Oh, okay, well, I'll take Isaac then. It just makes God more natural, more normal. So the letter bet was talking to God one day. What? This is Jewish lore. The Torah says, the Torah says to God, God's, you know, talking to God, the Torah says, I was the tool of God's artistry. An architect who builds a palace, he doesn't do so out of his brain. He has scrolls and notebooks, which he consults regarding how to place the rooms, where to set the doors. So it was with God, blessed be he, he looked into the Torah and created the world. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, he didn't. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? right. He didn't consult the Old Testament to do that. I beg to differ. Here's what Proverbs 8, verse 22 says. Listen, just listen. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. This is Proverbs 8. I'm not making this up. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. I was there already. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea to its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. That's Proverbs. Who's that talking about? It must be talking about the Torah, right? Right which is also called the wisdom of God. So there's stuff in the Bible you're like, I didn't know that was in there. I know, isn't it cool? So God looked into the Old Testament before he built the the world. He said, okay, I need uh, 100 gigajillion stars. Got to go down to Home Depot and get some of those. Hopefully they got them in stock. Uh, I need nine planets for the uh, Milky Way galaxy. What's a Milky Way? Uh, I don't know. Not yet. I know, but I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Okay. So then moving along, we're just going to hit boom, 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 boom. So in Genesis 1, verse 1, I was telling Michaela, did you know that the Jews say you could spend a year in Genesis 1, verse 1, and never exhaust all of the possibilities of understanding? The rabbi said there are 70 levels to every verse in the Bible. 70 levels. You and I are going to hit one or two to one verse. To every verse, there are 70 levels. We might, if God blesses us, get to the fourth in some verses, the third. Could you imagine the 58th? Oh, so that got me excited when I went, whoa, now, this is a Jewish thought, and it, and, it, and it means there's a lot. There is every kind of understanding for every verse, okay? We'll get into what 70 means. So the account of creation of the universe in Genesis 1 happens in 10 short utterances. Yah, hi, or. Yah, he, or. That's two words, yah, and then or. Let there be light. And the reality of light came into existence. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's why God says, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. I am the word through which all other words will be made. So how do we understand the verse in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth? This guy, you'll hear me talk about him a lot. His name is My Monides. Yeah, weird name. Bummer of a name. Um, also called the Rambam. Now nah, I like that one better. <laughs> That's, I don't know. It just makes me laugh. Rambam. So Rambam, one of the most famous rabbis to ever live. Rambam, or Maimonides, said at the very first moment, ex nilo, from absolute nothingness, God created the heavens and the earth. That means the basic substance from which he then, um, Fashioned the universe as we know it. Now, this is evidenced by the creation of the first three days, and then those of the next three days parallel the first three days. I did not realize this until I looked at this. What does he create on day one? No, I'm sorry, no. In the beginning, he created everything. Day one, light. He creates light on day one. What does he create on day four? Check it out, open your Bibles. It's all there in Genesis chapter one. It's gonna blow you away. He creates the moon and the stars and the sun. In other words, the source of all light in the galaxy he creates on day four. But wait a minute. If he created light on day one, what was that? That blew the rabbis away and that stumped them. I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Day one, I'm gonna create light What's the source? Uh, you don't need to know that. Maybe that's before. Crud. Well, you can't just have light floating around. There has to be something that's. And God says, we'll get to that in three more days. Day two. What does He create? The waters. When does He actually populate the waters? Day five. I know, it's like, well, I never noticed this. What did he create on day three? Dry land and vegetation. Then what does he do on day six? He fills it. He fills it. So there's a pattern. First, God creates a space and then he fills it. Then he creates a space and then he fills it. He doesn't just create everything all at once. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened to the light then on the first day? If the luminaries were set in place on the fourth day, we'll get there. Hang on to that. Asterisk that. So the Sabbath comes and protests to God. This is so Jewish. The Sabbath. Uh, Okay, God, like I'm really mad. And uh, everybody else has got a partner. Like, you know, And of course they wouldn't say Sunday because that's pagan, but yeah, Sunday's got Monday and Tuesday's got Wednesday And Thursday's got Friday, and then there's me. So Sabbath protests to God. I love this. And it said, you've given a mate to each of the days, but you've not given me a mate. God responded that the Jewish people would be your mate, Sabbath, because Israel would accept the commandment to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember what we said with the 10 commandments when God said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? Remember what they understood that to mean? God says, I want date night once a week. I love that. Sabbath says, Where's my day? My partner. And God says, the Jewish people will be your day, your partner, because they will observe you and keep you all forever. I think that's just neat oh, a neat way to think about stuff. Because you know, the Jews have a question about everything. Why are there seven days, not six? Everything else has its partner. Male, female, yin yang, top, bottom, open, close. Why seven days? Where's its partner? God says, the Jewish people. I just think that's cool. All right, listen to this. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was tohu wabohu. I love Hebrew. Tohu wabohu means formless and void. It sounds chaotic. Tohu vavohu. All right, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God creates the heaven and the earth, then God creates light and what does he separate the light from? Darkness, did you ever think about that? See, I think shalom is not peace. Absence of conflict to you, hey, Absence of conflict. Hey, absence of conflict to you. Hey, buddy, shalom. Absence of conflict. That's just weird. It, it means that. Yes, it has that in there. But shalom means, hey, Kyle, I pray God shalom on you. That's one of the most beautiful things anyone can ever say to you. Because it means, may your life be beautiful. May it work exactly as God designed it. May you have full functionality May things be good with you. May all things be right and set and established in their place. Nothing is broken. Nothing is missing. All things are together and working as a perfect, well-oiled machine. That's what shalom means. And that's what people say in Israel when they say shalom. Hey, how's it going? Shalom. They're saying, may all of God's shalom be upon you. Now, what's the opposite of shalom? Gosh! If everything works, everything is perfect. Everything is, and by perfect, I mean balanced. Everything fits. Everything is beautiful, and I don't mean hot and attractive. I mean beautiful. Sunsets are beautiful, and I'm not attracted to them. Um, flowers are beautiful, and I don't want to take one out on a date with me. So, uh, women are beautiful. So are men. Do you know what I mean? They do beautiful things. So beauty is part of God's creation, not destruction. What's the opposite of shalom? I think the opposite of shalom is when I turn the lights on and my toilet flushes. What? Or um, I open the dryer to take my uh, sheets out of there and my, both my pets are in there and they're dead. Oh no. I, I burned them up in the dryer. What the, what the heck happened? And ruined my sheets at the same time. Um, it's when I take out th- the knife and I begin to chop up my carrots and they just float away. Since when do carrots float? Like what? What's this? Is crazy. The opposite of Shalom is chaos. Chaos is unpredictable, unexpected, brokenness, and awful, and terror, and no order. It's where nothing works, nothing fits. It's all broken. It's all messed up. And I think there was chaos, whether God needed that or wanted that in the beginning, but. I think he took light and darkness and put it in a blender and turned it on and it just shredded it. And so when God speaks into the darkness, he says, and God separated the light from the darkness. He took out each piece of light and constructed this light, made this light from this darkness. Okay? It's just, it's an interesting way to think about that. Um, How many of you kind of think that light is good and darkness is bad, right? I mean, doesn't the Bible kind of show us that those who are of the light, the children of the light? Well, listen to this, guys. The sages says, listen, the darkness is not merely the absence of light, but it's a specific creation. God created the darkness. Did you know that? It kind of seems like the darkness was already there. Isaiah 45 says, he who forms the light and creates the darkness. God created the darkness. So is darkness always bad? Well, I don't know. Are bees always bad? Are mosquitoes always bad? I kind of hate them. God created those. Exodus 20 and 21 says, Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Yeah. Yeah. Exodus draws, Exodus 20 says, Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God was in darkness. It's not till very late in the first century that writers like John in 1 John say that God's light himself, he is light. But you know, in Psalm, way back in Psalm 104, you know what God does? He dresses himself in light. He covers himself with a garment, Light. That's what he does. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. So the text says that God was around with darkness in the beginning. The text also says God spoke into the darkness and light comes out. Light is born out of darkness. And notice how God has to separate the light from the darkness. So the questions the sages had was what did God do with that light? This is what we asked earlier. Because he doesn't seem to do anything with it, he just creates it and then goes, "Okay, do do do." Day two, we'll just do the waters, and day three, we'll do the dry land. Wait, what'd you do with the light? Ah, we'll get there. Day four, he creates the luminaries, but he never connects the light of creation with day four. So, the sages and I believe that the author of Gospel of John all agree that God did something very special with that light of creation. Now, John calls it the true light. It was hidden away by God, prepared and kept safe for future use. I don't know if you know your Bibles, but this true light is what? John calls it the true light of creation. If you're, yeah, and we know because we skip ahead to verse 14 and go, ah, yeah, that light, that's that's a guy. When's the last time you thought that light was a person? Jesus says, I'm the way. That's a manner, a means. I'm the truth. I thought truth was a concept. No, it's a person. What? Okay. You and I are Western thinkers. It means we hear a word like he or him. And what do we automatically assume? It's a person, it's a person and not just a person. It's a human, it's a human male. He, him. Huh. All right. Him, ha, huh? yee Okay, <laughs> it's not like I'm just saying random words. We know the rest of the story, so we superimpose Jesus instantly on the word with a capital W there in John 1. That's not wrong, but you jumped the gun. Like I said, we, we don't even find out that G- he's talking about Jesus until verse 14, but read the text. Go to John 1. You should know where that is, and I wanna show you something. There's no neuter pronoun in Hebrew.